Philippians chapter 3. So as you're getting your way there, I want to think back with you where we have come through Philippians. So we began by talking about what is our reality. What is the reality, even in the climate that we live as a Christian? It goes all the way back to the beginning of the book that in verse 11, we're told that if we're in Christ, we are this in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That if you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, as Romans says, adopted into his family, confessing Jesus as Lord, that your reality is this, that you are filled with the fruit of righteousness that doesn't come from yourself but comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. That that is your reality, that right now when Jesus stood on the cross, was hung on the cross, with his arms outstretched, he said, it is finished. And that became your reality as he draws you to himself. And so that's our reality. So what becomes our worldview? What becomes the worldview of somebody who through Jesus has been filled with the fruit of righteousness? What, what, what becomes our worldview then? It was back in 121 that for me to live is Christ. If I live longer on this earth, it's for Jesus. And that's incredible. But what he says next is just as incredible. But if I die, I gain. I win. Because whether I'm alive, it's for Christ. And if I die, I get to see Christ. And so our worldview is completely shaped by this idea that we live in a new reality as a child of God. That if I live, awesome. If I die, awesome. And that is so countercultural to the way that our culture lives, where everything I can get here and now is the thing that matters most. We would reject that thinking and say, no, no, no. Everything I do now, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. That if I live, it's for Jesus. And if I die, it's for Jesus. <laughs> Freedom is found in that worldview, in that place, where it doesn't matter what the crazy people all around me do, when Jesus is at the center of my life. And so as you reorient around that, we come to this place where we say what we talked about last week, that we want to live in a different way. Scripture says in Philippians that it is our conduct that we want to be worthy of the gospel, that we would live in a manner Worthy of the gospel. And so what I want to talk about today is what does that look like? If, if I'm going to begin to live my life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. I love that language, right? Because what does it look like to live a life that's worthy of the gospel? Worthy of the best news in the world? Worthy of watching my friends, my family, my coworkers move from death? To life. What does that look like? I want to talk to you today about the rhythms of grace. The rhythms of grace. What what is the rhythms in your life that you'll have to walk through? Because if you remember how we finished last week, the Bible's very clear that in this life you're going to suffer. Because 
all of this talk about rejoicing in the Lord and having the joy of the Lord and having the strength of God is all in the midst of suffering. Because remember, as we began our series a few weeks ago, Paul's writing this letter to this church that he loves, but he's in prison for preaching the gospel. And prisons back then are not like prisons today. It was not a good place to be. And so he's writing this from suffering. And so we come to chapter 3 and we begin in this place where he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Right? He said all of these things to this point, And he's saying, so in the midst of all of that, you should rejoice in the Lord. In the middle of your suffering, rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. Because, as we studied last week, it's God who's at work in you. And so there's much to rejoice about. But what does it mean to rejoice in something? Think about that. What does it mean to rejoice? The word literally means to be well off. If you think about your life, where are, where are the ways that you're well off? Where are the ways that you are Feeling good. Where are the ways that you have confidence in what you have? No doubt every one of us is working and orienting our life to be sure that in our circumstances we're well off. And for most of us, all of our decision making is wrapped around making sure that I'm well off. That I'm literally rejoicing in the life that I've created for myself and my family. And we, we spend almost all of our time thinking about that central fact. All of our decisions are made to help me and my family be well off. And that's right and good, right? Scripture is very clear. Even from the very beginning, when we were put in the garden, when Adam and Eve were put in there, they were, they were going to work that ground. They were going to be a part of cultivating the kingdom of God. So it's, it's within us to cultivate what we have and be well off, to rejoice in the life that we have. But that's not all that the verse says, right? It says we rejoice, we are well off where? In the Lord. And so that is super important because as we read through this and we look at the rhythm that arises out of that for the life of a Christian, the rhythms of grace in your life, if God really did come in and fill me with the fruit of righteousness and I'm going to live in such a way that if I die, it's great. If I live, it's great for everybody around me because I'm going to share good news with them. If all of that's true, what's the rhythm of rejoicing in the Lord? What is that look like well let's just work our way through it together look at verse one it says finally my brothers rejoice in the lord to write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you look out for the dogs look out for the evildoers look out for those who mutilate the flesh for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of god and glory in christ jesus and then here it is who put no confidence in the flesh. That's very difficult as a 21st century American. Not a little bit of confidence in what I can pull off. And some of you can pull off a lot. And I'm grateful for that, frankly. But what's Paul saying? I put 
no confidence in the flesh. That's pretty crazy. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. You see, Paul knows people, right? Because he knows what you and I are going to think. As soon as we hear a no confidence in the flesh, we're going to brush that off and we're going to keep our plans. (laughs) That's just who we are, right? Paul knows that in the back of our head, we're going to think to ourselves, actually, I think maybe, I think I actually can do a few things, right? You know, it's like what Jesus said in John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. You're like, I'm pretty sure I brushed my teeth today. Pretty sure I made my coffee. Pretty sure I drove here. Pretty sure I did all these things. So, so what is he saying? What, what's Paul saying? I, I'm going to put no confidence in my flesh. It, it drags us back to that worldview that we just talked about. If I live, it's only for Christ. Because guess what? Nobody cares about your coffee. Now we do. Spirit moves when coffee flows. Amen? Yes. But at the end of the day, right, by like 11, nobody's thinking about your coffee. Right? So, so the, the things in life that are going to last are all found in Christ. I think about it this way. You know, for, for many of us, when we don't have children... We pray and we pray and we pray that God would give us children. And then when we are given those blessings from God, we pray and we pray that God would change these children that he gave us. Right? Like, what? No, or maybe, maybe you're a, a single adult today and you have prayed and prayed for a significant other. And then God gives you a significant other. And then you pray and you pray that God would change that significant other. Can I get an amen in church today? My wife is amening, I'm sure. Right? Like, we're very fickled people. Because when you put your hope in the wrong things, when you think the wrong things are going to deliver on what you need in your life and in your heart, and they don't meet those expectations, we're left wanting. We could go on and on, right? We pray and pray for a job, and then God gives us a job, and then we pray for a different job. Because we don't like that job. And, and, and there's this cycle that we go through where we have to come back and recognize that if I'm alive on this earth, it's simply for Christ. And it takes all that pressure out of all those other worldly, earthly things, some of them very good, some things that the Bible calls a gift. The Bible says to those of us who are husbands, if you find a wife, you find a good thing. So these things that are even, can I get an amen, gentlemen? Amen. I heard you, Jerome. That's right. <laughs> Loud amen in the church from Jerome. Right. So so we we have to get reoriented or back around this idea that if I'm here, it's for Christ. And so every gift that God's given me, every way that he's provided for me is good. It's from him. And so we we shift our thinking from the things that he's doing to provide for us as we serve him. We, we shift our ability and our, our thoughts from that thing providing me satisfaction and happiness and joy, back to rejoice in what? The Lord. Not in having a job that I like. Not in having a spouse that's perfect. Not in my kids delivering what I think they should deliver on. 
preaching to myself now. But all those things that are from God are never going to replace what we need God for. And so we keep reading. So we're putting no confidence in our flesh. But Paul says in verse 4, but because you're tempted to think so, I have a lot of reasons to be confident in my flesh. And in fact, he says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, verse 4, I have more. Paul's like, in fact, I'm better than you are, in case you were wondering. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. I killed people because I thought it was going to give me right standing with God. He just one-upped all of us, (laughs) right? As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But look at verse 7. But whatever gain I had, whatever I accumulated from that, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. I love this verse. You should highlight this in your Bible. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see that worldview we talked about just continuing to live itself out in Paul's life as he's sitting in prison. He's lost everything. And yet he's counted all of that loss so that he could gain a better perspective of Christ. Verse 9, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or doing things for God. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That all sounds pretty good. But look what he says. not, Not that I have already obtained this. Or that I am already perfect. Remember he did write Romans 7. Where he said I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I do want to do. He's living in that reality. That brokenness that he experiences. He says I've not already obtained this. I'm not already perfect. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus made me his own. Right? There is a way that this works. God loves us first. God comes to us first. God is the first mover. Right? Ephesians is very clear that we're dead in our sin. And dead people don't do anything. Last time I checked. So Christ makes us alive by calling us to himself. And breathing into us the breath of life. And then we begin to live So verse 14, 
He says this, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any of you, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will change your mind. God will reveal this to you also. Then look at this. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. We're going to come back to that in a minute. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross. People are going to walk away from this vision of life. And we should just know that. There are people who were with you that are going to walk away from you. That's reality. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And then here's how he ends this thought. But our citizenship, who we are, is not in the United States of America. Is not in a political party. Is not in a job. Is not in anything of this earth. Look at what he says. But our citizenship, who we are, is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That includes the government. It is subject to himself. So I read you all of that to give you this big picture of what the rhythms of grace are. So if you want to take notes, these aren't on the screen, but you can write these down and think about them this week. But I want to walk you through what in Philippians 3, coming out of the things we've learned the past two weeks, what does life look like if I'm living in the rhythms of God's grace? If he really did fill me with the fruit of righteousness, what are the rhythms of grace in my life? It begins with rejoice. Verse 1, I rejoice in the Lord. I recognize that I'm well off in the Lord. That everything else could be wrong, but in Christ, I'm well off. So I rejoice. But then, verse 2 brings us to watch out. Right? So I'm, I rejoice, but then I pay attention. I rejoice, but then I'm not hiding under a rock. Right? I'm recognizing that there are things in this world that need me to participate in to bring God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. That when we rejoice, we don't just stay in this ivory tower on Sunday where we read the word and we celebrate and we... No, no, no. When you step out of this place, out of this gathering, or you click off online, you're then on mission with Jesus, with your city group, with the people around you that are Christians... To bring, to actively participate in the things of God and bringing the kingdom of God on earth. Because he says, watch out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Why? Because you are different than them. That's why an election like the one we just had feels gross. Because we're not of that. We're citizens of heaven. And there are completely different ideals for us as citizens of heaven. So we rejoice and then we watch out. We pay attention to what's happening around us. 
And then verse eight, we go back to what? Rejoice. So I'm rejoicing, but I'm paying attention and I recognize that I'm going to suffer. But then I come back to this place where I rejoice. Look at verse eight again. It says, indeed, I count everything as a loss. (laughs) Why? Because no matter what everything else that I'm losing in on earth or no matter how bad it looks and gets, I count all of that as lost to what? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ. I rejoice. I'm watching out in the world I live in. But then I rejoice because I have the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. So I rejoice. I watch out. I rejoice. And then what? Verse 14, we move back into this idea that Paul says, I'm going to press on. Look at verse 14. It says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is the prize? It's not here. <laughs> right? It's, uh, think about your prayer life. This is super convicting to me, by the way. Think about all the things you prayed for this past week. Were they heavenly things or were they earthly things? What, what is the prize that we're pressing on towards? We're being told we're citizens of heaven. We're being told that there's this surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. But then we pray for everything on this earth. Don't we? I know I'm not the only guilty one. At least give me a head nod. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we, we pray for, this is, we have to reorient our entire thinking, our entire worldview to recognize that I'm here on this earth for Christ. But the thing that I really desire is Christ and to be with him. So we rejoice, we watch out, we rejoice. Verse 14, we press on because there's that prize in the distance of being with Christ. And then what? We go back to rejoice at the end in verse 20, right? So we rejoice, we watch out, we rejoice, we press on. And then verse 20, we rejoice. Why? Because no matter what happens here, no matter what happens here, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, while all this other stuff is going on, while Paul sits in prison, while you sit in your own prison, whatever that looks like for you, we await a Savior who is Jesus. Whether I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's Christ. Everything changes. Our rhythms of grace go from I'm worshiping and rejoicing, I'm watching out. I'm worshiping and rejoicing, I'm pressing on. Because life is difficult. I'm worshiping and rejoicing because I am altogether headed to a different reality, a different place. And so that's the rhythms of grace in your life. But I want to give you three places that this comes from that Philippians 3 talks about. I want you to write these down and then we're going to sing again. Okay? Where does that come from? Where do I get the ability? To live in those rhythms of grace. To rejoice when life stinks. To press on when life is difficult. To suffer when God asks me to suffer. 
Where does all that come from? Number one, it comes from zero confidence in the flesh. Zero confidence in the flesh. Verse three. We're the circumcision. In other words, he's saying we're a different people. We're set apart by God. Who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Bible in Proverbs says it this way. Many are the plans in the heart of a man, but it's the Lord who establishes his steps. The Bible's not saying don't plan. The Bible's saying plan with an open hand because, hello, coronavirus, everything can change in an instant. And, and in, in things, ways we've never seen before across the entire world participating, <laughs> everything can change in an instant. So where are we putting our confidence? We put no confidence in the flesh, in our ability here. So where's our confidence come from? Number two, the call of God. The call of God on your life. Him drawing you to himself. Regenerating your heart. Redeeming you. Adopting you into his family. Giving you the Holy Spirit. This is where it comes from. The call of God. Verse 14. I press on for the prize of the upward call. We talk all the time. Vision up. Why do we say vision up to you 500 times a weekend? And then we say it to you in social media. Why do, why do we say that to you constantly? Why do we say love God? <laughs> why does it begin with loving God? Because if you don't get the vertical right, you'll never get the horizontal right. Because it flows that way. It comes from heaven. There's this upward call where God draws me up into himself. In this otherworldly, mysterious working of the Holy Spirit outside of my ability into his family. The vertical has to take place. And then it will flow through me into the horizontal playing field of life. Zero confidence in the flesh. All of our confidence in the call of God. That's, by the way, that's why we do communion. That's why we celebrate baptism, because those are the natural ways that we participate in the supernatural. That's why they're called ordinances or sacraments, because the mystery in 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul says, is this not the body and blood of Christ that we participate in? What an amazing thing. So then number three. Where does it come from? Where's the final place that this comes from? So we have zero confidence in the flesh. All of our confidence is in the call of God. But what does he do when he creates that call in us? When he starts to call people to himself and our vision is transformed and it's up, it's fixed on Jesus, as Hebrews says. What does God create then? He creates a people. He creates a community. The third place that we get our uh, ability to live in those rhythms of grace is in community. We say frequently that you were made to be in community. And this is why Paul is saying all of this stuff in Philippians and totally transforming the way you think about your life. And what is what does he come to there in verse 17? He says, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me 
And then what? Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. What's he saying? You have to do life with people who are committed to living as citizens of heaven. If the only people you do life with are at work and at play and out in the world, you you are going to be that person in verse 19 whose end is destruction, whose God is your belly, just doing all the things that satisfy your fleshly desires. You need to be in community with God's people. Why do we make such a big deal about city groups? Which, by the way, signups are open. RedeemerTampa.com slash city-groups. All right? Go sign up. They're right there on the board. You've got to be in community. Because you will not live with the right perspective and worldview in this life unless you are around people who are doing the same. We're stronger together. That's not just a catchphrase or a slogan. It's actually true. Paul warns us about that in verse 18. He says, many of whom I have told you and now tell you with tears, people that he loved who wouldn't commit to that, who wouldn't commit to being in community or submitting to the local church are now enemies of the cross of Christ. How do we guard against that? Putting no confidence in the flesh, all of our confidence in the call of God, and being in community with God's people. That's how it works. That's how it works. And so the next steps are super simple for us today. Is where's your confidence? Where, what are you putting your confidence in? It, the band's going to come up. We're going to sing a song called No Longer Slaves. Right? To fear, to sin, to all those things that are... You know, Hebrew says, easily entangle us. That's what the Bible talks about. Maybe that's what you need today. To just repent before the Lord in the quietness of your heart and in your soul and in your prayer life of putting your confidence in what you are able to do instead of what he has already done. Listen to me. The focus of the Christian faith is not what you can do for Jesus, but what he's done for you. And we can never get that backwards. It's vertical before it's horizontal. Put no confidence in the flesh. Maybe you're not a Christian today. I don't want to take that for granted. But if you're watching online or you're sitting here in the room and you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never experienced the upward call of God on your life. Can I just lay that before you today and ask you to listen in the stillness of your soul, in the quietness of your heart? Do you hear the voice of God calling you? Is he drawing you to himself? Do you, are you feeling that? Is he calling you to himself? If he is, the Bible says it's very simple. It's very difficult, but the path is very simple. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, that you confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. Why is that so difficult? Because it's going to completely transform the way you live your life. 
the point will not be accumulating for you, but channeling Him. That's the transformation that takes place. Where my worldview becomes, if I live, it's for Christ. If I die, I get Christ. That's the transformation that takes place. But if you've never surrendered or submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, can I just encourage you to do that in your mind right now, in your heart? Just speak to Him in the quietness of your heart. Just confess that He's Lord. Which is great news, by the way, because then you don't have to run your life anymore. (laughs) You can just do it His way. He created you. He knows the best way for you to operate. But maybe you are a Christian. You have surrendered to that. But the idea of being in community 24-7-365 where people, the people of God, the citizens of heaven are in your business <laughs> has just been a foreign concept for you. Can I encourage you today to just do it? To just surrender to that? And just allow the people of God to be in your life at all times. To build friendships. To build relationships that are going to disciple you. And not just have fun with you. That those could be the most life-giving relationships that you have. 